Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden joined by Bob Phelan. Nick Stevens is out this week, but we do have a lot to talk about as we're joined by Ryan Ripken to discuss the Orioles season some of their prospects, as well as some major league news. So, Ryan, uh, just want to introduce you here, former minor league player who spent time in the Washington Nationals and Baltimore Orioles system. He is now the host of the podcast Off Script with Rip, where he talks about not only the Orioles, but all sports. You can find him on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. So, Ryan, great to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know it's it's been a little bit in the works but, you know, that's life, and, and here we are, and, and I love it. We talked right before this. We get to talk about some baseball, and, and uh, you know, that's an easy, uh, what's it, Wednesday night? That makes it a fun Wednesday night. Yeah, and for those asking, no relation, come on, no. Um, on the 28th year anniversary, I believe, of breaking the streak, so, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, you, you know what's funny? quick thing with that is um, – I had someone bring that up to me too. And I feel bad just every time it's brought up, I go, yeah, like it's a cool moment for me to look back on, but I, the lights were on. No one was home. I was only two years old. Um, but it is crazy to think now it's almost three decades later um, that he broke the record. And I like giving my dad a lot of, you know, a lot of crap, but uh, it's all in good fun. And, and that's one of the records I don't think's ever going to be broken. Yeah, I still remember the videos of him carrying you around, going through the stadium, taking his his applause. That was that was awesome. I wasn't there. I know everyone says they were there. I was not there. I was like probably six or eight. I don't know. Young, too young. Yeah, certainly a uh, special day in the Ripken family. Uh, Ryan, we, you had you were in the Orioles organization from 2017 to 2021, so you had the opportunity to play under two different regimes, first Dan Duquette and then Mike Elias. When Mike Elias and his front office regime took over, what were some of the biggest changes that you noticed? Well, first off with it, it's, it's kind of strange because in 2018 – and this is the strange part is that the Orioles were expecting to compete in 2018, right? Going into the season, people had the expectation this team was still going to fight for a playoff spot. And then things got off to a really rocky start. And then it's all in sell mode. And then it's going, well, the, it's a full blow up and they're going to go into rebuild. But how is that going to look, right? And and even going to the offseason, uh, time went by before Elias was hired, you know, and this wasn't, it was right after the season. So for a lot of us, when the news was passed, it was uh, a lot of unknowns, right? And honestly, in the beginning, which I thought was really great of, of Elias coming in was they didn't want to try to change too much. The first year it was seeing what they had trying to evaluate, but they did make it a little bit more known that they wanted to try a couple different, um, ways of analytics and technology. For example, on the pitching side, they had a lot more data to kind of help and script with their pitchers. And Chris Holt came in as a coordinator and was able to start that process. And on the hitting side, it started with the blast motion. And I think 
people saw it with uh, De La Cruz on the Reds, had it on his knob, and and uh, Davey Martinez was going, hey, uh, you know, get that checked out, and it's just a way to, for them to measure more data. So it started with that, and it was just kind of for them feeling it out. And then really after they made the selections with, you know, Adley and Gunner, and then the next couple of years kind of rolled through was really when things started to, to really change. Uh, and before with Duquette, um, it just, it's not that it, there wasn't as much analytics. It was just, I guess you could say that it was just a different era of baseball when I came in. And also when you come into a situation where the organization's in a, was in a good spot, you know, they were competing. The Orioles had a chance. Um, you know, things were great. It was that kind of quick turnaround right in the middle where, uh, you know, everyone could feel it. And then with great opportunity, it was also understanding that there was going to be some rough years ahead. Uh, and really, you hope that you were going to take advantage of the opportunity, knowing that this ball club was really going to try to figure out who was going to be a part of the next step and, and who they were going to move on from. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, you were teammates with Kyle Bradish in Norfolk and have since watched him successfully settle into the Orioles rotation. I'd say he's near a number one or number two starting pitcher. The national media wasn't high on him as a prospect, uh, and he continues to be overlooked to a degree. What has stood out to you about Bradish while watching his maturation process? Oof. I mean, so I, I told people Bradish, Brad is one of the most talented pitchers I, I played with. His stuff is nasty. It's electric. And I think that was my first impression of seeing him in 2021 or being teammates with him was that, man, this guy's stuff's elite. The problem for him at the time was how do I, uh, how do I refine it? And how do I, when I get ahead on hitters, how do I not leave a pitch over the plate? Cause I remember there was multiple times in 21, he'd get ahead on a guy and then he'd hang uh, uh, off speed pitch and they'd hit a home run or they do damage on it and going, man, it was one pitch here or there. The other part for him was falling behind in counts and trying to work himself back or work himself out of jams and the pitch count got higher. But the, the thing that's still the common denominator was his stuff was unbelievable. So for me, it was looking at it as soon as he could try to figure that out. And I think one of the cool signs of it I got I got the front row seat to see it, and like you said, the I don't know if it was necessarily a maturity. It, it probably is one of the words, but I think the other thing is understanding yourself as a as a pitcher. And I think one of the biggest confidence boosts for Kyle was last year against Houston. He was unbelievable against Houston in 2022. Uh, I think he had two outings, almost 17 innings. I think no runs, correct me if I'm wrong, no or one, but he was electric. And that was the best team in baseball last year. So when you can do it against the best, that shows you that you can go out there and, and be that guy. The thing for him was cleaning up, not giving away free base pass and, and limiting his mistakes. And um, it's been a really a big joy to watch, uh, especially since that Milwaukee game. Uh, after that first inning, Kyle Bradish has turned into a guy that, you know, I'm not surprised that he's turned into an ace. I'll put it that way. That's just how talented he truly is. And it's funny, that refinement process that you talked about, that's that's like that last big step for a pitcher, and some of them never make it past that. But what's been impressive is, you know, but for the organization, their pitching development, for the players themselves, you see it with Grayson too, like, he had that injured list stint, came back, and was a different pitcher. Then you had Grayson go down after a rough rough stretch. He made some adjustments. The team helped him with that, I'm sure. And he came back, and he's looking great as well. So just big to be able to get over that. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I tell people this all the time. There's a perception nowadays, and maybe because social media is, you know, we get all these highlights. You guys, you know, post the highlights all the time of what's going down on the farm, right? And it's exciting. You're going, man, these guys can play. But then we sometimes discredit the guys at the big league level and discredit how hard it is to be up there and have success. And for for guys like Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez, both were, you know, we talk about stuff being dominant. You could still get away with more down in, you know, AAA at the lower levels. Grayson was a guy 
that specifically, when I looked at it, he got hurt in 2022, and he was probably going to be in the big leagues if he didn't get hurt. And then he tries to rush back. He wants to be there, and he started doing a little bit too much. But even when Grayson was trying to do too much, he could get away with some of his mistakes just because of his talent. In the big leagues, you can't. You can't get away with as many mistakes because people will make you pay. And I think that was the process that I guess the point I'm trying to get out, uh, get out here, young players having so much success in the minor leagues is not going to translate that you're going to go to the big leagues and start, you know, the example, Colden Kowser. Kowser is a tremendous player, but was it fair to expect that he was going to go up and do the exact same thing at the big league level when the number one overall prospects that the Orioles had in Gunner and Adley didn't do that to start their careers? So I think it's the context that the resets had them refocus and then help them for grace and helped him find what made him so successful. And that for me was pitching off of his fastball, locating it. And then if he does that, man, he, he can, he, he truly can be one of the best pitchers in the game. Didn't hurt that he all of a sudden was throwing one one as soon as he came back, but <laughs> and ne it never hurts. And that's the thing. When you throw that hard, that fastball is a weapon. I mean, you look at the best pitchers in baseball, we can talk about, I hate hitting good sliders. I always hated it. I hated good off speed, but man, if you had a guy that threw a heater and knew how to throw that heater hard, man, good luck because uh, nothing's more demoralizing than when you know a guy's got a fastball, you can think it's coming, and you still can't do anything about it. Kyle Bradish was not the only current Oriole that you had a chance to play with in the minor leagues. As you think back on some of the teams you played on, was there a particular group of players that you looked at and you could tell they had the chance to be something really special? So group of guys, yes. Um, you know, it's funny. I When I was at the Nationals, the start, um, there was a 17-year-old kid that came over from the Dominican Republic uh, that came to Instructional League in the fall. And someone said at that moment, at that moment, he was the best hitter in, in all of uh, the Nationals organization. And everyone called, you know, I'll keep it PG here, but they, they called Bull. And you guys might be able to take a guess of who that was. And that turned out to be Juan Soto. And man, were they right. And that took a year to figure it out. And I was teammates with them for a moment, but you could just see it was different for him. So that was really cool. Coming to the Orioles, uh, my the year in Delmarva, really talented team. You know, actually it was DL Hall and and I got to see Mike Bauman up close and personal too. Um, guys that have tremendous stuff that maybe haven't reached their potential yet. I think you're starting to see with Mike and DL both right now. But when I say that they can be so much better, I, I mean they can be so much better. Like those two guys specifically um, were great. And even, you know, it leads into 2019. Uh, I got to be teammates with Mike. And then when Cedric was all the way sent down from, if people, people might forget, Cedric was the starting center fielder in 2019, the bigs and demoted all the way down to double A where him and I were teammates. And Cedric to me was always one of the most talented guys. And I was hoping that this wasn't going to be him losing his chance because that's the reality of it. And the Orioles were in that evaluation period and Cedric was able to sneak himself back up and, and have the year and, and, and show you how valuable he is to the team. So it was really cool to be around those guys. Um, and like I said, it's really cool to see Cedric evolve from what he was. Another guy where it didn't start off well, but but Bauman and, and DL have that that you know the new phrase is like you know dog have that dog in them. They both got it. DL DL is electrifying, and Mike. I tell people about Bauman. He threw a no hitter in nineteen. He was throwing ninety eight in the ninth. Uh, I think actually it was ninety nine. And so what my point is with those guys, they have this competitive drive that they're going to keep going until they figure it out. And so that is something I look forward to seeing as their careers move on, because I think that they're going to be big parts of this team moving forward. I'm yeah, curious to hear a little bit more about Mullins, because you had the opportunity to play with him after he was sent down. And there was a lot of pressure on him. If you go back to 2018, when he was called up 
Adam Jones, a franchise player, moves over to right field. Mullins, as you mentioned, opening day center fielder in 2019. He gets sent down, which had to be demoralizing for him. But how how do you think that he handled that? And what do you think made him get back to the point where he not only became a major leaguer, but a guy who plays at an all-star level when he's at his best and has been an all-star? You know, I, I this was another example that I think is great. And, and I know that we'll talk about Jackson Holiday at some point here. But Cedric is one of those guys that flew through the system that just was having success at every level. And Cedric's really first true sign of adversity that wasn't an injury was when he got to the big leagues and he started to struggle. And then you're sitting there going, well, man, <laughs> well, I should be better than this. And that that's a humbling experience to, to get. First off, you have to be that good to get there. And then... It's also then a setback of going, well, man, why am I not doing this? I know I should. I know I can. So for Cedric, it was he still was confident in himself. But I mean, just to be honest, anybody would be, you know, frustrated about the situation. You got sent down two levels. You were supposed to be the future. And then to the point where the Orioles weren't sure what they were going to do with them. They might not say that out loud, but I mean. Let, let the moves dictate what, what happens. And then even going into the COVID year, Cedric was kind of still one of those guys on the fence. So what was great with Cedric, and this is why it, it, it worked out for him, didn't, it didn't stop his work. His work ethic was, didn't waver. He didn't feel bad for himself. It wasn't, oh, woe is me. Me talking about, that's the hypotheticals, because I think as a human being, we all have those thoughts about, well, damn, what's going on, right? That's not him saying that. That's just him. That that was my interpretation of just the situation. But Cedric, we talk about how good his outfield play is. For anyone out there, you go and take fly balls during BP, Cedric's doing his homework. He's working on it. Like everything he's done, he's calculating what he does, and he's making sure he gets his reps in. And it doesn't have to be all the reps in the world. It just has to be good reps. It's got to be reps. And he continued to put that work in, and that's what propelled him back, and that's what had him persevere through it. And I know them saying, you know, he just hit left-handed. I know that as well. I get it. And he's, I think that was a great switch for him. But it's the it's the mental makeup that's going to help you get past that hurdle because a lot of players in the big leagues are talented. And quite frankly, there are some of the most talented players in the world that never make it out, just like you guys pointed out, in the bigs. And it's not because they're not talented. It's because they mentally couldn't get over the hurdle when things got tougher and they had to make adjustments. Yeah, and I was going to say that's why I'm not giving up on D.L. Hall as a starting pitcher. I feel like he's going to go in this offseason trying to prove a point to come in spring training and try to win that job. And I'm not going to count him out. He's a lefty that can hit the upper 90s. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But for now, I like him in the bullpen. But Speaking of the Major League team, they continue to play great baseball but remain in a tight race with the Tampa Bay Rays in the AL East. What has to go the Orioles' way in order for them to win the division? Well, I mean, you guys might have seen me say this a couple times on social media or, or going on, on uh, TV with Rocco DeSangro. My motto is, is this. It's you win series and you avoid getting swept. And, and the Orioles have done that better than any team in baseball, better than the Braves, the Dodgers, you know, two of the hottest teams, Mariners. And, and that's why they are, are where they are. And if they continue to do that, they're going to win the American League East. And, and that, that series with Tampa's looming next week, obviously that's a massive series. If you can split that one or better, they're in a fantastic position, in my opinion. But even if the biggest thing is if you just avoid the sweeps because you never know how schedules can be. But just think about that. And even in that case, if the Orioles lost three or four against Tampa, that's a two-game swing. You lose all four, that's a four-game swing. Like those that like people sometimes forget the division games, how much not getting swept matters. And it's cool to talk about the stat and the Orioles, it's incredible. But for the season, that that adds up. Not getting swept adds up, and the and the Orioles continue to find ways. So they're in the driver's seat, and the, and the biggest thing for them is to not change a damn thing. Go out there, continue to play your baseball. It doesn't have to be pretty. 
They're a great come from behind team. They don't care what happens. They don't care. They don't get rattled. The biggest thing for them is to just not overthink what they've accomplished, what's going on, and just stay in the moment. Because right now in the moment, we're seeing a really special team uh, believing they can win in any place at any time um, against any team. Yeah, the players got to stay in the moment, but some fans are looking ahead to the playoffs and looking at the starting rotation. Who do you think gets the ball in game one of a playoff series? Do you ride the hot hand of one of the younger arms like Bradish or Grayson, or do you think having a veteran like Kyle Gibson take the mound for game one makes a difference? Uh, you know, it goes back and forth. And I think if you're going to go off of who's pitching your best, I think Kyle would deserve that. Definitely a veteran presence is something you have to consider. And it's weird. Kyle Gibson, what what makes people probably scratch their heads is, you know, that White Sox game, for instance, I know is frustrating. Again, it's baseball. Kyle's never been this ace type of pitcher for his career. But I will say this. You look at his outings since, you know, July. Yeah, he's had some bad moments. The Mariners game was tough. White Sox game was tough. Oakland could have been better. But he also went eight against the Blue Jays. He also then went six against the Blue Jays, giving up one earned run. He had really good outings against the Phillies, uh, I believe the Twins. So the theme there is those are playoff teams those are, and the Rays. He, so those are all playoff teams where Kyle rose to the occasion. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kyle Gibson was a part of the rotation. But I do think... You got to go with who's the guy that's been showing you their consistency that's going out there and pitching their best. And right now, those those guys are Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, and um, Dean Kramer. But I do think that Gibson's going to factor in. It just feels like that, just given that he also is the, the pitcher with the most experience for this team, you know, heading into the postseason. As a former player, sometimes I get your curious to get your thoughts on is the Orioles' success in really tight games. So they're, I believe, tied for the lead in baseball and come from behind wins right now. They've been very good in one-run games. They've been good in extra innings games. Fans tend to look at the numbers and sometimes point that out as a concern. Like this isn't, you know, this isn't sustainable. But do players process that differently? In other words, do players look at that as sort of a source of pride? Like we can get into tight spots and find a way to win. Oh, yeah. I, that's the thing is players do not give a crap if they win by 10, if they win by one. Uh, and for players in, in the reality of the business is you got to learn how to, to how to handle stressful situations, 10 situations. That's why I told people after a while, this was probably the best thing to happen for a young team is to the, the, my concerns for the team to go into the season. And I, I believe the Orioles were going to be a playoff team. That was my prediction to start the year was Yankees and Red Sox missed the playoffs. Uh, Toronto wins it and the Orioles would be in it. I, and I think the Rays, I had it in there as well, those three teams, but obviously the Orioles, the only thing I had was curious about is how are their young guys do out the gate? How would you handle the tougher situations? Because you can't, you can practice that all you want, but then you got to go out and, and play it and you got to get comfortable. And when you get to the postseason, the moment is magnified. They're tight games. They're tense. You can feel the energy in every stadium. And for that group of, of guys to know that they've been in almost every circumstance imaginable is the best thing that could have happened. And, and I truly mean that. It, it, and it's no longer a coincidence. It's a skill to win close games. The good teams... Well, you heard the you guys have heard the phrase, you know, good teams find a way to win, bad teams find a way to lose. When you do it enough, you're the Orioles aren't just a good team, they're a great team. And the one run stressful, tense situations, I ultimately think is hardening them and gonna make them more, you know, the more resilient bunch as it gets to the postseason. Cause let's just face it, no matter what the situation, unless it's a blowout. Um, playoff energy is just going to be way, way different. And the closest thing you can have to that is being in as many close games as possible. Yeah, honestly, I give a lot of credit to Elias in the front office for putting almost as much effort into the clubhouse chemistry, the off the field, high character guys as 
they do with the in on the field stuff. Like you bring in Adam Fraser, Kyle Gibson, James McCann. These guys are obviously good for the clubhouse. Seems like we've been following their drafts and player development throughout the years. And it's, it's always, you never hear a bad thing about anybody. Did you feel that when you were in the organization? And, and what do you think about that? Well, they definitely have tremendous guys in that locker room. Uh, and obviously when you're trying to figure things out, it's, it's great when you don't have other distractions as, as players. What's really cool with this team is a lot of those guys played together. They got to get to know each other more, and they also are super competitive and, and have that goal in mind. They want to get to the big leagues. They want, they want to win. Um, and so there's just certain – those things you can't quantify right? You can't quantify that as a, in any stat. I don't care about like when, when Adam Frazier got signed, I don't care what, what any of his stats said for me, it was a guy that was dependable, meaning he has been playing a lot of games over his career. He can come up in situations. He was a former all-star, but also he brought a leadership Kyle Gibson, the exact same thing. James McCann. I mean, the value of a backup catcher, to have a guy like that, a guy that's been there, done that, and also can give you production, but also give your star catcher a break, that's a whole other thing. But those are guys that that the younger players, then they can all feed off each other. So just the, the group that was created, and that's why I wasn't worried when the Orioles didn't make you know these gigantic moves at the deadline, is because the chemistry and belief that they had built within another is special and usually when you hear people talk about you know what makes a team special they go oh, yeah we were really good but it's also we like we we enjoyed being around each other we enjoyed coming to the park and when you're able to have that type of continuity with the team it it, it makes all the world a difference that no no stat can ever replicate yeah great stuff uh switching now to the big prospect news of the week, you called it. We're going to talk about him. Jackson Holiday, he got promoted to AAA Norfolk, four levels in one year, 19 years old. When you look at him as a player, what part stands out the most to you? Man, um, tre uh, just tremendous. I, I don't – I'm kind of just flabbergasted at times just about how crazy his year's been and how mature he is. At, at his age and the ability to go out there and it just seems like nothing's phased him. But I also am genuinely shocked that he literally has not dealt with any adversity. And that's because he's played so damn well. You know, how do you have adversity when you continue to hit 300 at each level and you continue to feel like it just is, you know, it's second nature to you to be able to hit guys and pitchers that is for a while in professional baseball or went off to college. And here you are fresh out of high school. You know, and I look, my, I remember my dad's first year coming out of uh, when he told me when he was coming out of uh, high school, it was rough. He didn't hit any home runs. And on top of it, he made a ton of errors. Confidence was low, you know. So I, I think that part jumps out to me. The skill set, obviously, he's a, he can run, he can hit. Uh, he's got all the intangibles to be a successful defensive player. I mean, it really is the complete package. You know, there's nothing, there's been nothing but but great praise about him. And I think the other part of it is he just, the way that he handles himself is what's been making him, I think, rise so quickly. Um, that's one of the last things that every team looks at is where are they mentally? Where are they in that situation? And can they handle situations? Because, Let's face it, you know, the minor leagues, you got to try to work out all the problems. When you get to the big leagues, they'll give you some leeway depending on who you are. But you, now it's you need to perform. It's a it's a perform business, you know. So he, he's he's everything is advertised. And and the Orioles made once again looked like they made an absolute tremendous pick at the top of the draft. And the trajectory that he's on points to you know fans want to see him coming out of spring training on the on the major league team next year but you know you got guys like Joey Ortiz, Kobe Mayo ahead of him quote unquote you know as far as they've been here longer performing longer how, how do you think that all that shakes out in the spring should be exciting to say the least 
Yeah, I think there's definitely a chance he could. I'm still my my bet is that he is not going to, just because of if we look at what Elias has done with the group of guys so far, it's been something. Not saying he shouldn't, but to your point, there would have to be other decisions to be made. You'd have to be willing to say, yeah, you're going to leapfrog a guy like Joey Ortiz. Uh, what's the rest of the roster configuration going to do? And and if you call him up, he's not going to be a guy that you're going to be sitting multiple days. He, you know, They might be on the Orioles rotation that they have, but probably similar to what Gunnar Henderson did. And that's going to be the question is starting 2024. Is that something that they're willing to do? Because Jordan Westberg deserves to play. Gunnar Henderson uh, has proved he can play the shortstop position at the highest level. And then you already have this, this log jam of what you're going to do with Urias. And we talked about Jory Ortiz. So yeah, they're going to have to make decisions, but it's not because that they feel any differently about Jackson. It's just more so of, is he going to finish this season out? So red hot. Is he going to come in? where it's so undeniably unbe- you know, unbelievable that they'll make a move. But my guess is he won't at this moment break with the team. But 2024, it's not an if. It's, it's a reality. It's happening. And I think it would be sooner rather than later. When you look at the Orioles' farm system, Holiday has not been the only guy to stand out, especially at the higher levels in the minor leagues. Just curious for your thoughts, Ryan. Has there been – a prospect or prospects uh, at the higher levels of the system that have really stood out to you this year? Well, uh, we mentioned Kobe Mayo as far as, you know, he, he has home run derby power in in actual games. You know, he's not a 5 o'clock hitter, which for people that don't know, that means just hit your – you look good during BP. That dude has got pop at any time. Um, so it's great to see with that. I think the Heston Kerstad – situation i'm so bullish on him i really think he's the best pure left-handed bat right now in the system jackson holiday for the future you know for the decade but heston just hits and the fact that i think people forgot to give him that benefit of the doubt of trying to get back from a medical condition and sitting out not playing baseball for as long as he did and then you got to try to do it again i had a hard enough time sitting out during COVID and trying to come back to play. I can't even imagine what it was like for him to do that. And then to do what he's done has been nothing short of spectacular. Um, I'm really intrigued and I'm going to follow it more and I'm probably going to pronounce the last name wrong, but uh, Samuel Basalio, Basalio, I might, there is something about him and, and, and I'm glad he's getting more traction because man, that ball comes off his bat fast and hard, and and he's showing a lot of productive uh, signs that you want to see. Um, you know, the list could go on and on. That whole AAA team is just ridiculously talented. We're not even talking about Norby or Kowser or um, whoever else they got. Um, I, I am I, – I did have someone that uh, – there was a pitcher that was on my mind here uh, that I'm blanking on. Chase McDermott. Chase McDermott. That's him. Yeah. I mean, he looks, and this is what I, I guess, you know, it's crazy. Uh, you guys, it's not flying under the radar, but I think for a lot of people, because a lot of the big, big prospects get the, the, the talking points, you know, all he's done has been put together a very solid year. And now you're looking at, and this is what I'm saying for the Orioles fans in the future you know, the Orioles might not have to go out and get as many of these big-name guys that you're hoping for because you might have it here. And, and that's why I'm glad they didn't do that this year because you never would have let Kyle Bradish develop, Dean Kramer develop. So now McDermott's got a chance to be one of those next guys that could come out there and people go, well, wait a minute. I didn't realize this guy could be that good. And so that's an exciting that's an exciting moment. Um I know Povich is pretty raw as far as skill, like really just nasty stuff, but he needs to refine himself a little bit. You know, like that's that's going to be his biggest thing. Um, you know, the crazy thing is here, it's such a loaded question because this is how deep the farm system is. Like we could, you could, we could talk about a guy and we can go, yep, that guy's really, like, he has this ability. It could be this. 
Um, and, and that that's props to it. And, that, and that's, that's the best problem that you can have as an organization is that you have so many good players uh, to hopefully pick from. Yeah, and Samuel Basayo, he's just the tip of the spear when it comes to the international side that's on its way. So, yeah. And that's something the Orioles have been missing for years, right? And then for people that were wondering this, going, well, Felix Batista. Felix Batista was not – initially wasn't with the Orioles. He was with the Mar- or the Marlins. And then, it's, you know, he was with the Orioles farm system. It took a while. Talking about development and everyone develops at different times – you guys know it took Batista, I believe, seven years to get out of A-ball, past A-ball. And then in 21, he erupted. And now he's 28 years old and before the injury was the best closer in baseball. You know, everyone has a different path. But the, the, but the, the international signings, man, that could just completely change the game even more for already what is a loaded farm system in Baltimore. Absolutely, and we'll hear more from Ryan in a minute. But first, we want to welcome back DraftKings as a sponsor of the show. Can you believe we've had seven months without an NFL game? Crazy, right? Well, good thing that's over. NFL is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving you a can't-miss offer for week one. This week, new customers get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Me bets us 5 bucks on any NFL game. DraftKings is hooking everyone up with game day greatness. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every single game day this September. Check the app to see what you get. Download now and use code on the verge to sign up. New customers can take home $200 in bonus bets instantly just for betting five bucks. That's code on the verge only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call... 8778 Hope NY or text Hope NY 467369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, 21 uh, plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario, see draft dking.co slash football for eligibility terms and responsible gaming resources bonus bets expire seven days after issuance eligibility and deposit restrictions apply so ryan i know on your show you've been talking about the ravens a lot during the preseason how are you feeling about their chances this year oh the ravens you're excited you know i i definitely look at things in a, in a positive outlook I try to because I, I definitely was so hard on myself as a player. And the bigger picture of it is, hey, it's exciting. It's great. Reality is, if Lamar Jackson plays for the Ravens, the team's always going to have a chance. If he's not on the field, it's going to be hard. And that that is just the name of the game. But, man, I, I'm just excited to see the ideas of, of an offense that, that Baltimore has probably never experienced is, is in your head, but you got to go and walk the walk. I think that's the biggest thing right now is you got to go out there, make your go out there and prove what you're doing and who you have is is going to be successful. So she'll be fun. I mean, honestly, how about this though in Baltimore? You know, you got the Ravens starting up, and usually it was people going, Man, I can't wait for football to start because the Orioles weren't playing well. And then they just couldn't wait for the next thing or the hope. And now you have a realistic hope that two of your your Baltimore franchises can you know be world champions which is just it's awesome i I honestly i can't remember many times besides maybe that little run in 2012 you know but my whole lifetime been waiting for moments like these so it's it's really cool yeah Yeah, when when football season sneaks up on you just because the orioles are playing so good you know you know you're living right yeah i mean i'm like oh my gosh opening days tomorrow i think i even tweeted out i can't believe the first games tomorrow night and I got to figure out, uh, you know, what I'm going to do with some of my uh, fantasy lineups. But that's for a different time. I got I got the next 24 hours to procrastinate over that. I'll just say, hopefully you're better at it than I am. And I want to ask you about this because in your work, um, you focus a lot on the mental aspect of playing the game. It's something you've talked about a lot. What is something that you hope that anyone watching or listening to your commentary as fans, what takeaways should they have? 
Oh, well, I try to give a realistic approach or a thought into it. And I try to make it so I understand where fans are coming from because I do. I, I it's because there's, there's differences, right? And that's no, there's no right or wrongs to it. Everyone. And that's what I love is that people love uh, their teams. They're passionate about their teams. My goal is how can I try to shed more light into the situation of what players and teams are thinking, what's going on, and then mentally, emotionally, what could be happening and, and how that can impact players on different levels. You know, because I've been fortunate enough, whether I love baseball or hate baseball, like I could hate baseball with all my guts, which I don't. I, I love it. But because growing up in a baseball family, I, I do, I did have the luxury of getting to learn so much. And so that component, I'd love to try to share with people that follow me, but from the athlete side, not just from my own family is how can I bring this and explain to whoever wants to listen something that they can understand? Because I think if I, the biggest thing I see out there when people put out media, I don't want to put something out personally that I say just to do gotcha, to get you a gotcha comment if I don't mean it. I want to be authentic with it. And then at the end of the day, whether you agree or not, you at least can understand what the thought process is. Um, and that's my goal. And I honestly, I love answering, you know, people's questions when I got, when I have the time, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, so I try to look at it that way is from all that I've learned, I, I won't speak in the language that you know my family does with baseball because no one can understand that when it comes to baseball, not even me, but in a way that the people that are really passionate about the game or their sports can understand. Yeah, well, we're glad you decided to get into this. And uh, what made you want to get into the media when you, when you uh, hung up your gloves and put your bat away for uh, permanent professional baseball? And what made you decide to, to hang it up in the first place? Well... You know, to be completely honest, and I like to be transparent, you know, it's just opportunities weren't going to be what I exactly wanted. And then you have to explore, is it going to be, uh, do you wait around, which I did in 2022. So in 2021, um, I dealt with, you know, uh, internal type of injury that, you know, look, I, I you got to go out there and play. And I was going to lose playing time just because of the situation. Nevin was with the team. Love Nevin, by the way. Great guy. And, um, and I knew I wasn't fully healthy, but I got to, I have to go out there and play. And then I hit a mental roadblock cause I couldn't get over. How do I come off the bench? How do I play every other or X amount of days? Uh, and that was challenging. So when I realized the opportunities were going away and I knew I'm not a person that's going to go in at 50% or 60%, it's 120% in, um, I wanted to see what, what that was going to look like. And, you know, I got to the point where I thought it was the right time to move on and because of the situations and what was offered. And that, uh, was very challenging because that is a part of who you are, uh, whether you get to play for 20 years or you, you stop playing going into high school or you stop in college, whatever the time that you stop playing and you love something, it, it hurts. So that was something, even though it was the right decision, still, still, uh, still to this day, I miss it. And I, and I, because it's mainly the guys, it's the people that make the experience. I mean, who loves hitting home runs? Everyone does, but, um, it's the guy, it's the people that you're with make the experience in everything in life. So for me with media, I love relationships. I love getting to work with people. And I thought that could, that could be a platform for me to express myself more because I think growing up, I always felt I had to be a little bit more guarded. I had to be a little bit more careful being a Ripken. People already kind of knew what was going on with my family or felt like they did. And I didn't want to give them anymore. But now that I'm old enough and I sit there, I go, you know what? Um, I want to share some thoughts and I want to, I want to dive into something that I think I can be um, I hope I can be good at, or at least that people can enjoy. So why not? In the process, I get to express myself in a way that I hadn't done as a younger kid. So that was a kind of a, a double whammy. Um, 
And it's been a fun process. Do I know what I'm doing sometimes? Absolutely not. But uh, it's been a fun ride. Yeah, appreciate the honesty. And anyone that's been a part of any team, whether it's sports or otherwise, can I think they can relate with what you're talking about. Yeah, it's I, that's what I, that's like. Also, what I try to do, you know, everyone goes through different things, and that's why I started my own podcast off the side, off script with Rip on the side. One, I wanted to work on interview skills. But two, regardless of the journey that people took, you could relate it to your everyday life. You know, I had Brandon Copeland on, football player, Maryland guy. Him and I went to high school together. And I love the fact that when he talked about going into preseason, he didn't say he got released. He said he got fired six times in one year. And so, like, for me, that's that was one moment that stuck out for me going, man, that's real. And or having someone tell you they don't want you, you're not doing a good enough job for whatever the reason. And, and for me, that was a real moment. And I thought if I can get more of those moments out, even when people look at sports in this this different, you know, um, aspect, that at the end of the day, the same concepts the same. So we we know that from listening to your work, you do talk a lot about baseball, but you do get into other sports as well. Is there another sport in particular you really enjoy covering? I mean, I think who doesn't love watching football, and especially if you're a Ravens fan, you know, rooting for for Baltimore. I think that one is is very enjoyable. I really just love all sports. I mean, I grew up playing everything I could. Uh, you know, I played a ton of basketball. Honestly, I'm still, I'm, I'm getting back into competitive basketball. Basketball, like sneaky, might have been that passion that if I was six eight, uh, I might have never played baseball. You know, and so basketball, something football. Um, but even I just appreciate sports. The U.S. Opens on. I love watching tennis. You know, and and I love investigating more into what's going on in those sports. So I definitely try to take a deeper dive because uh, I just think it's so cool. Sports can go by in so many different ways. I mean, even like this different case, Messi coming to America. I mean, talk you can know about the player, but looking how much it's the culture, it's changed for people, about how one person can, you know, I just find that type of stuff really cool. Now, having said that, uh, I do have that, that I think the Ravens are the team I have the most, uh, fandom for because you know when you get into baseball you realize the business of it i still love the orioles it's not that um you root for guys and i have a lot of the guys on the team that i'm pulling you know hard for but the ravens you know i'm like everyone else and just stressing um and just praying that uh you know they hold on and win so uh yeah that's about it how about college? What's your team? Is it is it the Terps? And can we get Baltimore uh, NBA team back here, please? Oh gosh, yeah, wouldn't that be great? That would be awesome if Baltimore can get an NBA team back. And that's the thing that I, when people say, you know, Baltimore is not a big you know sports city, people love their sports here. Like they love the Orioles, they love the Ravens, um, you know, tremendously. So passionate. Uh, for for sports, I love the local. You know, I, for colleges, I always am going to pull for the Terps. I want them to do well. You know, I'll even root for Towson. Like you know, I, I want the teams around where I grew up to do well. Having said that, now um, I got really close ties to UNC. Um, my girlfriend is a is a Tar Heel. My best friend is a Tar was a Tar Heel. Uh, and then it, coincidentally, right now, uh, Colorado, the Buffs. Uh, my sister went there. She still works in the athletic department there 15 years later. So needless to say, I was ecstatic about the Buffs' uh, recent win um, just because I, I root for those teams. And the other one also, it's it's family-related. My sister's husband's a Boise State Bronco fan. So um, I, I get to I, – I, those are the, I, I root for the, 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 the teams that matter in my community and matter to my family. That's awesome. Yeah. And back to your podcast and your radio stuff. What what interview that you've done so far stands out as your favorite? Was it the one you mentioned earlier or is there one that uh, you know, even tops that? You know, it's funny. So Gavin Sheets for White Sox was my first interview. And Gavin and I are, are best friends and you know, our dads, Larry Sheets and, and 
Edwin Edwin Jr. Uh, uh, CRJ, whatever you want to call him. He, they, they were roommates um, and drafted the same year. You know, they went through the minors together and, uh, and then played in the big leagues together. And then you flash forward all the years later and Gavin and I are playing on the same high school team and our dads are coaching us. And then we're now we played against each other in pro ball. And then, you know, we're sitting down to the podcast and we get to reflect on all this stuff. So I think that for me was really cool to be able to talk about that. And for baseball fans, you want to talk about mentality and how to deal with hitting. And um, that was awesome. And whether Gavin likes it or not, he's going to be back on multiple times uh, to keep talking about it because he really does have a great perspective. Uh, I know it's not here for Chicago right now. But he, uh, he, his was a lot of fun. Um, man, I'm blanking on some of them. I, I got an event with Jonathan Ogden on Friday uh, down in Canton in Baltimore. He was awesome to sit down with, talk about a gentle giant that I do not want to upset on a football field. Um, you know, he was great. Darius Jennings was a second one Baltimore guy uh, that I went to school with. You know, it, it's hard to really... I think the the people that I got to know that were closer and have them tell their stories, I think were the most. So when I brought up Darius Jennings and Brandon Copeland and Gavin Sheets, Jonathan Ogden, uh, there's many more, but those are guys that I've gotten to, to know on more personal levels. So to have them express themselves more in ways that I maybe knew but didn't, I thought was really cool. Yeah, the Ogden interview, I watched that when it came out and the – kind of the moment that stood out to me was that he didn't think he was going to be a Raven in the 96 yeah. draft. And you and he talked about that for a few minutes. And as I was watching, it's like, that's not a good alternate reality at all. No, no. And it's crazy, right? I mean, it's all, that's what I love about also those stories is I want to get people in a, in a place where they can speak honestly and openly about what was going on or what's happening. And, you know, that conversation about not getting, you know, maybe not becoming a Raven, which how would that have looked for the course of the team to then talking about how hard it is to make it in the NFL and then talking about somehow God brought up to Kyle Bowler and how and hearing Jonathan defend his guy about saying he and, and explaining how hard it is to play quarterback, but how he loved playing for Kyle because he gave his he gave his all every single game, every single time. Great guy. But on the outside, people hated him because he didn't play well. Um, you know, and, and that, I, I feel that. I see that. So, yeah, it, it, it's cool. We're definitely working on some uh, technical difficulties. One that was cool, by the way, I meant to say Nick Moore, the long snapper for the Ravens that um, tore his Achilles, unfortunately. You know, the fact, he was a pro baseball player. Played with the Red Sox. He was, he was boys with Mookie Betts. And, um, you know, we went to the Dodgers game, and, and sure enough, Mookie locks eyes right on him. And uh, you could tell that they had a lot of, uh, they had that, that friendship you could see still there. And uh, so Nick had some great stories. So it, it's just really cool. It's like, you just never know uh, what could happen. And for Jonathan, uh, he was just a prime example. You never know what could happen. And it turned out to be the first pick for the Ravens and first hall of famer too. We do have a few questions from our listeners before we wrap up. And Bob, do you want to read those off? So Kevin Brown, not the Orioles announcer, but our patron would like to know what was your favorite minor league city that you played in? What was my favorite minor league city to play in? Oh uh, man. Um, there's a lot of cool ones. Um, Charlotte for the experience. Cause I, it was fun being in Charlotte and, and being around there. I thought one that, Stadium-wise, was probably the least favorite, but beautiful city was in Burlington, Vermont, uh, playing, excuse me, in the New York Penn League and going up there in the summer in New England, and it's 65, 70 in August, and you're like, man, this is just unbelievable. Yeah. And it's just, you just, I felt like a whole new person out there. Um, I'll save some, maybe some stories uh, recreationally that help reset my mind, but it was amazing to just be outdoors be out there and 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 have a bonding of a moment and also we could i'll say with that stadium which is funny is we didn't sh we couldn't shower at the field by the way so our, the 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 clubhouse on the home side apparently caught on fire when their team was away the vermont lake monsters so they were in a trailer 
we we did chose not to shower at our uh, clubhouse because you guys could imagine that it was just in terrible condition, and so it was almost like a summer ball trip. But then the stadium was a the game was a fun experience, and Burlington was just awesome. Very cool. And Garrett would like to know: Do you have a favorite story growing up as a Ripken in Baltimore? Favorite story about growing up as a Ripken in Baltimore? Um, Easy question, right? Yeah. You know, I'll say this. Um, Things you look back on that you maybe take for granted or don't realize. You know, for me, my dad's last game of being in the dugout and and trying to be a bat boy, but really not a good one. You know, that was my, my one of the memories I had just being there. Um, I honestly think just in Baltimore, what I think that for as far as the, the being a Ripken part, it's just I, I understand people love what my dad did, but for us, it was just a name, you know, and just going out there doing a job. And and I, I think what we just appreciated was, especially my dad, is just we'd go to places, get to talk to some people, and just feel feel the the community care. I think that was just a cool part of of the whole thing is. Um, knowing that people in the area appreciated how hard my dad worked, and then and then on the side of it for me, it just got to be able to uh, to feel like this is a community that we could call home growing up. Uh oh, is that the next question? Just to read it off for anyone listening, um, who plays better practical jokes, Billy Ripken or your dad, Cal Ripken? Oh gosh, both of them are are can be diabolical. Um, you know, I probably been on, on the brunt end of more of things with my dad than, than my uncle, just because of how much time I've spent with my dad, you know? Um, but man, they like to get creative. I think that they're Billy might have that personality that will fool you or, or that will make you think it's him, but don't let, don't let Calvin fool you. Um, that guy likes to do it under the radar and be like, Oh, what? It was, it was me. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about. So I might have to lean my dad because people just obviously suspect it's going to be Billy, but I'm not too sure about that. Did you take that gene over? Are you a a prankster as well? Uh, I am. Oh, what am I? Uh, (laughs) at times I am, I think I try to be very careful with kind of how I, um, do things. I always felt like is afraid to go too far, especially nowadays with everything with social media. Um, never try. I, I think I tried to be a nice guy, but my close friends might think otherwise. Ryan, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. And uh, can you give our listeners uh, just a little bit of a preview of the work you have coming up? Yeah. So a little bit about what's going on with me. I am. Um, I have an event with Jonathan Ogden on Friday in Canton. It's uh um, kickoff NFL season party. Got a lot of good vendors, have some great items uh, that are going to be up for raffle and uh, proceeds going to the Ogden Foundation. Jay was going to be in the building. And so it's just going to be a, a great time. Uh, I do my YouTube stuff now. I do the Ryan Ripken show at least once a week, once a week on YouTube. And uh, that's been um, a lot of fun to do. Uh, what else I got? I go on every Sunday for, for the, uh, for Fox 45 talk baseball who rip and rock podcast involved with them. Uh, and then, uh, Hey, that race series coming up, I'm going to be down at pickles, uh, for that full week. So if you are there, go to have a good time getting ready for what should be an awesome series. Come say hi at pickles and, uh, it'll be a great time. So that's, I think that's all I got for now, but I I just want to say to you guys, uh, I love what you guys do. I think it's so cool that you give the platform to minor league guys and showing them how great they are. I don't think that they get enough credit. Um, so I just want to thank you guys. I think you're doing great. Keep it going. Um, and I hope uh, we can connect more soon. Thank you so much. We've certainly enjoyed hearing from Ryan. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight. And follow Of course, guys. My Ryan pleasure. Ripken. Sorry. <laughs> Bob uh, and I will give our players outside the top 30 shout out next week when nick is back on the air we will be back on monday night at our normal time in the meantime check us out on twitter at bs on the birds you can also find us on facebook and instagram 
head over to baltimoresportsandlife.com to check out all the latest covers on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're there, be sure to hop on the message board, join and discuss with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors to BSL. And as a reminder, we are less than one month from our live show at Checker Spot Brewing on Monday, October 2nd. I had a chance to go over there this past weekend. The new space is excellent, and we're certainly looking forward to hosting our next live show there. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, thank you to Ryan Ripken for joining us. This is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Verge. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger. Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.